One of the biggest concerns about renewable energy is what happens when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. One way to deal with this issue is using a battery. For example, if you have a solar panel installed on your roof, you could pair that with a battery to store power for when you need it. But this idea can also be implemented on a much larger scale. I'm Jane Ryan, and this is Rewired for Marina, a show exploring the future of energy in Australia. This season, we're looking at the technologies set to change how we create and use power. This episode, we're focusing on grid-scale energy and how giant batteries are being used to shore up our network and give us the security we need as more renewables hit the grid. So as Australia shows an increasing determination to reduce emissions, the sweet spot to get started is the electricity grid. This is Australia's chief scientist, Dr Alan Finkel. So as we bring on more and more solar and wind, we're all very conscious of the fact that those are variable energy sources and add complications that we didn't have in the old days. That doesn't mean we can't cope with the complications, but they add complications. So a lot of things have to be done. We need battery storage to provide reliability so that we can dispatch electricity when we need it, at least for a few hours. We need to use um, distributed resource management to uh, reduce the peaks of demand and match the demand more dynamically to the renewable energy supply. One last thing that is being talked about more now, and that's to massively overbuild the wind and the solar Because if you've got two, three, four or five times more peak capacity in wind and solar, then you actually need to meet the load. Then if for a combination of circumstances such as night time and not much wind, if your available renewable energy across the network drops to, say, 20% of its peak output, but if you've got a five times overbuild, that 20% is sufficient to meet your demand. As we mentioned in the first episode, more and more large-scale renewable projects are coming online. These projects are helping us transition away from an electricity system dominated by massive centralised fossil fuel plants. One of the companies building these grid-scale projects is Edify Energy. So Edify's mission you know, is to produce as much clean, green electricity as we can, and we've done that originally through solar farms and and now with storage devices. This is CEO of Edify Energy, John Cole. Edify built a number of large-scale solar projects across the country. Now they're working on building large-scale batteries to provide additional capacity to the grid. And while a battery isn't a generator, it doesn't actually generate any electricity on its own, it can play a very, very important part in enabling more clean green electricity to come into the sector and ultimately be consumed by Australian businesses and and individuals. I mean, it's a bit like a bucket of water in some ways that you fill fill it up at one end and drain it at the other. But yeah, you know, batteries are unlike anything else that is on the system at the moment. They're multifunctional, they can respond in milliseconds, they can provide a range of services. We're working on a a project at the moment where we're looking to provide some system strength services from advanced inverter technology coupled with a, or integrated in as part of a, a battery system. 
Arena supported Edify Energy with a $22.73 million grant to develop the Ganawara Energy Storage System. It's a 25-megawatt battery that's been retrofitted next to the existing Ganawara solar farm near Kerang in northwest Victoria. The batteries themselves have been provided by Tesla, the same company that supplied the biggest grid-scale battery in the world at Hornsdale in South Australia. The battery that's of note is the Tesla battery where Elon Musk took up Mike Kennebrook's challenge to deliver it in 100 days. Um, the Ganawara battery system that we have, which has arena funding and also funding from the Victorian government, I mean, that was commissioned earlier this year, so it's been up and running. But the potential for batteries and all different storage technology is just immense. If we're going to hit these renewable energy targets and carbon reduction targets from the energy sector, and we're going to have a lot of solar, or solar and wind, but a lot of renewable energy, then we will need, particularly for solar, we'll need to store that energy that's created during the day and release it into the evening so that the lights do stay on and the system continues to function. So yeah, there's a the sector has not been around for very long, but the opportunity is immense. Edify Energy has been involved in a number of solar farms across Australia, from the Whitsunday and Hamilton solar farms in Queensland to the Ganawara solar farm in Victoria. The company's focused on building large-scale renewable projects and makes money from sending power to the grid. Sometimes there's too much energy being created around the country, so Edify can't send all their power to the grid. At other times, during the evening for example, there's less power being sent to the grid from renewables, but that's when the power is most needed. This makes batteries a good option for storing energy created by renewables during off-peak times, and then delivering it to the market during peak times when it's actually needed. You know, electricity was a commodity that was unlike others in that it could not be stored. And now with a, a battery is different. It, it changes the game uh, for me, changes the game quite significantly in that you can store energy. You can physically store electricity. Part of the problem created by the influx of renewables into the market is the way our grid was designed. It was built largely on fossil fuels, with power coming from a handful of reliable sources. It wasn't designed for the variability created by millions of renewable assets, like households with solar, large-scale solar and wind farms. Coal power stations are somewhat more reliable. They still have their own issues, but they can operate 24-7. But on more overcast days, or during the evening, a solar plant doesn't have the same output. Wind power is also affected by changing weather. All this means the Australian energy market operator needs to find ways of balancing both demand and supply in a grid that's transitioning to renewables. There are a number of different changes that need to happen. The first is, you know, the value of uh, coal and gas is, is that the, the fuel sources, right, we're, we're right there. And so you can, you know, put your coal piles right next to the coal plant and you can deliver the gas to the plant. This is Audrey Zibelman, the CEO of the Australian Energy Market Operator, or AEMO. For wind and solar, of course, our biggest fuel source is weather which means that we want to take advantage of weather diversity, but we also need to make sure that because we know that the weather doesn't always work quite the way we want it to, that we can firm those resources. And so it requires us to start thinking about storage 
as a very critical resource in the power system, and that's both battery storage and hydro storage, like the pumped hydro systems will be very critical to our future. And we can't think about these things as separate. We have to think about them as a portfolio of resources. So that's one piece. The second is is that wind and solar per megawatt of production require a lot more land because they're not as energy intense as coal and gas. And so we need to make sure that we have enough, that they're going to be at the places where we have the best weather resource. And knowing that they're going to take more property up, we need to make sure they can be delivered. And the best resources are not necessarily where we had old resources, so we have to build the transmission. The third thing we want to do is the advantage that Australia has around diversity is that sometimes when the wind is blowing in South Australia, it's not blowing in Queensland, and just the reverse. Sometimes we have better production out of Tasmania than we do out of Victoria, and sometimes we have better production out of Victoria than we do out of Tasmania. And so we want to make sure that the power system is able to deliver it, because one thing about electrons They go where it's the the lowest impedance. It's the law of physics. But the other thing is they don't really care about state boundaries. And so what we want to do when we operate the market is to say, what is the most inexpensive way? Not only can we build out the power system, but can we operate it? So we deliver the product, which is electricity, at the lowest cost to consumers. And to do that, we need to be able to move energy from where it's produced to where it's needed. And that is a very dynamic market. So this is something that the energy market, the operator and variety of bodies are dealing with live today. This is CEO of Arena, Darren Miller. I mean, it is a big transition to move from the old way of generating electricity, fossil fuel, uh, coal mainly, and, and obviously gas as well, to solar and wind. And as solar and wind penetrate to a higher and higher degree, there's additional problems to solve. We've got system security issues around how do you operate the system in a minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. We need different tools and different technologies to do that, and ARENA and various others are figuring out what is required as we proceed. There's also build-out of transmission infrastructure because the renewable energy resources are not where the coal resources are. So as we build new solar and wind farms, we need to strengthen the transmission network that delivers that electricity back to where it's used. And that is an additional um, thing that's happening as we speak. And then finally, there's storage. So as we have variable renewable energy in the form of wind and solar, we need to be able to store that so we can use it at night or you know, when demand, when, when people's consumption is highest uh, and may not have enough solar and wind at that time. So clearly things like lithium-ion batteries, you know, we've heard of the big Tesla battery in South Australia. We've seen home batteries. Those are required. And we also need longer-term storage like Uh, pumped hydro. So we've heard about Snowy 2.0 and Battery of the Nation in Tasmania. Those are the kinds of technologies we need to be bringing into the market over time as the penetration of renewable energy increases. Those bigger battery projects do come with a price tag, but the hope is that over time, lithium-ion batteries will become more affordable. It is a balance, and these things are needed in different timescales. So we're really at the early stages of things like lithium ion, they're still expensive, they still need uh, concessional support from the likes of ARENA and the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. So those are early stage technologies where the costs will come down and the ability of those technologies to provide services will increase as we become more experienced with them. 
Germany is also a country struggling with managing renewable power in its solar grid. As we mentioned in the previous episode, Germany is looking to transition to 100% renewables by 2050. As with Australia, that transition is causing problems with volatility. In Germany, the population does realize that uh, renewables and in particular wind onshore, which is rather affordable and PV, are volatile. There are renewable energies such as in particular wind offshore, which are much more reliable. And of course, biomass, which has a strong baseload capability. This is the managing director of the German Energy Agency, Christina Haverkamp. So when you have the right mixture regarding uh, renewable energies plus water power, then the danger of um, having an unanticipated shortage is rather small. Plus, of course, you need to design your grids in such a way as to be able to cope with volatility and intermittency, which means reinforcing the grid, but also making it more intelligent so you can automatically react real time to changes within the grid. And this is taking place in Germany. The technology is there. It does cost money, but it is affordable. It only sends, um, adds a couple of, of cents to the kilowatt hour. In Germany, we are considering and testing all options to stabilize the system because we see that every option has its specific advantages and disadvantages. We are investing a lot into the extension of the grid, uh, more lines, larger lines, connecting the north of Germany with a lot of wind power to the south of Germany. We are also testing different options to make the existing lines take up more energy in times when more is produced, such as um, controlling heat, for example. The hotter it gets, the less transport capacity there is and the other way around. But we're also looking at all storage solutions. Battery solutions can be an important contribution for short-time problems. They can react extremely fast, but then they are empty and nothing more happens. So we are also looking at storage uh, solutions such as uh, pump storage from, from water, which has more of a longer-term capability. And we increasingly look at storage solutions converting um, electricity into power into uh, gaseous substances, hydrogen, synthetic methane, which can then be stored long-term in the gas grid and re-electrified when and wherever needed. We'll be looking at pumped hydro in our next episode. But for now, let's focus on how the grid is being impacted by renewables. Since the introduction of the 100-megawatt Hornsdale Power Reserve in South Australia, ARENA has supported the construction of four new batteries, two in Victoria and two in South Australia. By all measures, the Hornsdale battery has been a huge success, and it's demonstrated to the market what's possible using existing technology. The 
big battery in South Australia is a great example of a project that has individual merit in its own right from a technological perspective as well as uh, signalling merit. Some people like to call them flagship projects or lighthouse type projects. This is CEO of Climate Works, Anna Scarbeck. And that's really valuable in the process of this transition where there's a lot of talk about the future. There's a, there's a good understanding that we need to eliminate emissions from our economy, but there's not as much understanding about how to do that. And people want to know we can, um, but because we're in transition from the old to the new, there's not as much of the new to see yet. So having high-profile projects that allow us to see the new and understand it and see that it works are doubly valuable, not just to prove the technology but to help uh, shift the conversation in that way. It also stands on the shoulders of a lot of good work um, that the sector has done over the last decade to have battery technology always um, improving and iterating, and not all of that work is as high profile. Um, So it is great to have some flagship projects to give it that profile, but you've got to also have the ongoing iterative work to continually improve the underlying technology and advance that, as well as now roll out the deployment much, much faster. One thing we've learned in renewable energy is that um, deployment is a big driver of improvement. You know, it's straightforward that the more of a product we use, so deploy, purchase and install, the faster we learn about how to improve it. And one advantage of renewable energy is that it is a smaller scale than some of the older fossil fuel energy technologies. And what that means is you've got more opportunities to improve. So each module is smaller from a manufacturing perspective and an installation perspective. So what that means is you're installing multiple units and manufacturing multiple units. You know, every solar farm is a combination of many solar panels. Every battery, even a large battery installation is a combination of smaller battery units. And so each one of those is an opportunity to iterate both the technology and the installation costs and um, optimization of their performance. So we know from history, uh, recent history, that the faster we deploy, the faster we improve the improvement curve. The Hornsdale Power Reserve is the biggest battery in the world. An arena is supporting its expansion with $8 million in funding. 50 megawatts of storage capacity will be added, allowing Hornsdale to maintain its title as the world's biggest battery and continue to play a vital role in stabilising our national grid. So, you know, one of the things that's changed in the power system over the last decade and will continue to change is just generally the emergence of storage. This is Audrey Zibelman again. The issue about electricity that's always been fascinating to me is it's a real-time product. We need to keep the supply of generation of resources balanced with the usage of resources all the, at every second, every millisecond of the day. That's what AEMO does, is to make sure that happens. One of the things that's happened with batteries is now we can think of ways to make that even faster and more precise because that's what batteries do for us. As a result, we're able to operate the system in a more secure rate and we're able to take advantage of excess solar and wind to improve the security and resiliency of the system. 
Our Hornsdale experience has been extremely beneficial in those learnings, and each battery we add gives us more experience to think about how we use storage better, because the alternative to having storage available to us is that we have to have other units that are running in in a mode where they're able to increase and decrease their output very quickly, but could be less efficient. And so what we want to do is try to drive efficiency throughout the system and use everything we have, every tool we have to its best advantage. And what batteries provide is a, a lot more precision at a faster rate and potentially a lower cost. One of the big benefits of grid-scale battery technology is how it can help manage fluctuations in demand. While AEMO has the ability to draw on traditional energy sources if needed, batteries can supply power within milliseconds. This prevents the grid from destabilising if it's hit by a sudden increase in load. The other use for um, matching demand and supply is actually about grid stability. So this is this idea that, you know, it's not so much about saying over an hour how much supply and demand we have, but over a minute or over five minutes how much demand and supply we have. That's actually really important because you need to match those in real time. And that's where batteries we're seeing are really coming into their own at the moment. This is Head of Policy for the Energy Efficiency Council, Rob Murray-Leach. So what we've seen from the Hornsdale battery in South Australia is that they make the majority of their income at the moment from um, frequency control, which basically means very quickly increasing output or or, uh, increasing intake of energy uh, in order to balance the grid. Um, So that's basically about keeping the frequency stable, which keeps the grid stable. In fact, it's making a fairly small amount of money off what we call um, arbitrage, which is sucking up power when it's cheap or in fact you're being paid to take it and and putting into the grid when it's more expensive. That will more likely come over time where you're getting more income coming from that. But actually it's those grid balancing services or the grid stability services is where, where batteries are really coming into their own at the moment. So as we look to balance our energy usage, are we actually seeing efficiency improvements across our network? When batteries or, or demand response change their output in order to balance the grid, you're doing a number of things. One is you're keeping the grid stable, which is great. Um, Generators can do that, but at the moment there's not a huge amount of competition amongst generators who offer those services to to stabilize the grid. So it's dramatically increased competition in the markets for what we call frequency control ancillary services, significantly dropping the cost to consumers. So after batteries and demand response started to be allowed to bid into those markets to deliver grid balancing services, really reduce the cost to all consumers who have to pay for those grid balancing services. As we scale up the volume of renewables in our energy systems, the need for storage solutions and demand management will also increase. So do we have access to the technology we need to make it all happen? Here's Darren Miller again. So the the things that are required to run the system with high penetrations of renewables are pretty well known. They just haven't been demonstrated at scale yet. So for example, we think that um, big batteries like the Tesla battery that people know about and you know, just other big lithium-ion batteries have a key role to play in securing the system, providing voltage, frequency, all the other things that the electricity system needs to operate safely. We believe and are certainly proven at small scale to work. What we need to do is to get uh, commercial businesses comfortable with financing those projects, get the market operator comfortable that the system will run effectively with new technology rather than old technology, 
uh, I think we can be pretty confident that the technical solutions are available. The challenge is more around the way it comes into the system, the market frameworks, the revenue streams that these technologies can access. It's quite a change to the regulatory and market uh, that needs to happen over the next uh, few years to make that happen. When thinking about the grid of the future, a portfolio response is really the model to carry in your mind. So batteries are a important feature, as are transmission connections and geographic diversity, and also energy source diversity. And so when we're thinking about a national grid and risk management for grid reliability, purposes in particular, while reducing emissions to zero as is required for climate stability, then certainly batteries are a really important form of storage for firming up renewable electricity sources. But what CSIRO and other data shows is that very detailed weather forecasting and the ability to have a geographic diversity so that uh, we can connect large-scale energy sources across a broader geography means that we can make the grid stretch a lot further in terms of reliability by allowing ourselves to manage the fact that we're geographically spread out and so there are different weather patterns in different parts of the country um, and different energy demands in different parts of the country. And so you can then tailor the battery storage for where it's needed most and use other tools in the portfolio, be it transmission links, be it demand management and interconnectors for the national grid, which is a combination of the state grids, to help balance what will be ultimately a fully uh, renewable electricity grid. In the next episode of Rewired, energy storage comes in many forms. We can store power in batteries and we can store energy in dams. So what role will pumped hydro play in our renewable future? Pumped hydro is is not a new idea. There's been pumped hydro in Australia for quite a long time. And what pumped hydro does is look at the same kind of idea, but when there's excess electricity in the system, then you can... You can actually use a pumped hydro plant to take water that's at the bottom of the hill and put it back up to the top of the hill. Rewired is brought to you by ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. We work to support Australia's energy transition. Since 2012, we've provided $1.4 billion in grant funding to more than 500 projects. And you can find out more about our battery storage projects at our website, arena.gov.au.